Welcome to Coming Home Well with your guest host, Scott Wirt, Military Program Manager for the Concussion Legacy Foundation. Join Scott as he talks to veterans who have taken the pledge to donate their brains to research and family members of veterans who have honored their legacy through brain donation so we can learn more about how to diagnose and treat brain injuries in the military community. Now, here's your host, Scott Wirt. Welcome to Coming Home Well. I am Scott Wirt. I'm guest hosting today for In for Tyler, and I'm the military program manager for the Concussion Legacy Foundation. I'm a retired Marine. I've spent 20 years in the Corps and just retired a couple years ago. And uh, now my mission in life and, and my purpose in my job is to work for Project Enlist in the Concussion Legacy Foundation. So I found a, a job that I can help veterans and really uh, help with the research on TBIs and PTSD and chronic traumatic encephalopathy or CTE. And that's a mouthful. And I want to use this opportunity with coming home well as a partner of Concussion, Concussion Legacy Foundation to speak with veterans and their families and uh, pledge people who have pledged to Project Enlist and some legacy donors to our uh, brain bank, some family members, and and just really talk to them about their experiences and kind of get to the the bottom of how TBIs and PTSD and CTE affect our veterans. But the VA estimates that over the last twenty years we've had about. Uh, 430,000 U.S. military members uh, that I've had suffered just a TBI alone. So that's something that goes underreported, concussions are, and that's something we see from many walks of life, not just the military go underreported, but we're we're really uh, diving into that number as we as we kind of push along project enlist and, and its importance. Statistically, in our brain bank, just in the last five or six months that I've been with CLF, I've noticed that women veterans are really underrepresented. And so what a great, I guess, time to talk about women veterans. And that is June 12th is Women's Veterans Day, the fifth anniversary of Women's Veterans Day in the U.S. And uh, the 75th anniversary of when the uh, women, when President Truman signed in the Women's Integration Act So for the military. So that's a fantastic timing. But we want to kind of get the, the word out there that Women are going to be are have been affected for many years on, with TBIs and from military service, and then it's just going to probably pick up. I would say as we see more women in combat roles in, in the near future, and and those numbers are growing. So so that's that's kind of where we are. And what I really wanted to do is talk to Gretchen Evans. So Gretchen, welcome to the Coming Home Well podcast, and uh, thank you for coming on. Uh, I know it was no easy feat <laughs> with the vacation craziness going on in Europe, but thank you very much. And just real quickly, I just want to introduce you to our to our listeners. Gretchen is a retired Army Command Sergeant Major with 27 years of experience serving our country in the U.S. Army. Gretchen was part of a generation of women that really experienced drastic change in the military, especially where women are concerned. And in 2006, while uh, she was deployed to Afghanistan, Gretchen did su- sustain a, a life-changing TBI, and then since then, uh, she's really overcome her challenges to lead Team Unbroken, an adventure race team you can see on uh, Amazon's World Toughest Race Eco Challenge Fiji. Gretchen also has written an excellent book, which I have right here. I loved reading it. Uh, leading from the front and and has a passion for continued service by, talking, by taking care of her fellow veterans, really through several relationships with charities and nonprofit organizations and uh, veterans funds. So Gretchen, welcome and a happy early Women's Veterans Day. 
Well, thanks, Scott. Thanks for having me. It's a pleasure to be here and an an honor. And I just really feel very strongly about what Project Enlist is trying to do and want to be a part of the solution and to encourage women to step up and perhaps think about donating their brains to for research and study, because I think we can all benefit from that. The more we know, the better we can to mitigate or stop or at least help those who might be suffering from traumatic brain injuries um, or other type of head injuries. So I'm just delighted to be here. Thank you. Yeah. And it's uh, really, it's really great. And something I just kind of like failed to mention really is that Team Unbroken is one of our, one of our program partners with Project Enlist and, and the Concussion Legacy Foundation and really just helping us raise awareness for the issue of TBI and in the military and PTSD and CTE. So thank you for that. And thank you for, for being on. And really, I want to talk about today, just some of your experiences in the military. We are, since we are coming up on Women's Veterans Day here, what you kind of what you experienced and throughout your career, and then getting into a little bit more of um, how the TBI that you sustained has affected you. And and then we'll just kind of a little bit talk a little bit about Project Enlist and what that does. But really, first off, I read when I was reading your book and, and I loved reading it because it was very easy. To, it's a very easy read. And a lot of the stories. It is easy are very, to read. Yeah, it's a very relatable story, really, as well. And the great thing, too, is you really don't put time parameters on that book. It's kind of here's your deployment or deployments. And here's the different stories that have come out of it. And so a lot of leadership challenges, obviously, a lot of things to overcome, but you don't, you don't beat around the bush and you're, it's not very verbose. You just go right to the heart of the matter. (laughs) And I love it. I love reading books like that. Just maybe it's just my military mindset, but it makes it a lot easier. So when you, when you first joined the army, you joined kind of part, partly out of necessity, right? From a family situation and is you decided to go in as around 1979. What was it like? Yeah, 79 was an interesting time. If you think about it, it was towards the, just a couple of years after the official end of the Vietnam War, if you really think about that. And so my NCOs were Vietnam War veterans who had decided to stay in and finish out their careers. And so these, my leaders were battle-hardened combat um, warriors. And so when I went to basic training, I went to Fort uh, Leonard Wood, and they were just had just started integrating females into uh, basic training companies. And so what they did was they would have three platoons of men and one platoon of females. And so I was like, I'm going to say, honestly, they're the first or second class easily of the first time that they did that. And I remember that they, I didn't have any female drill sergeants because they had not started putting them through or they had them in like at Fort Jackson where most of the women were trained who went to basic training and places like that, but they did not have any up in Fort Leonard Wood. And so we didn't have any female drill sergeants. So our guys were all males (laughs) and they really, God bless them, get thrown in the deep end of the pool. Okay. Very little public training leading up to it. Very little experience dealing with female soldiers at this level. I mean, brand new people right off the street, but they did a stellar job. And I would, like to just to I would say honestly say that their leadership and their training was pivotal to my success in the military because they had been to war and when they were teaching us and training us with our weapons and all the things that you learn how to do in basic training they were very serious about it because they knew that knowing how to take apart your weapon correctly and put it back together could save your life 
And so there was, there was no nonsense. Okay. And I talked to other females who went through a female basic training and, and, and I hear that those female drill sergeants were wicked mean, but I mean, our guys, they were a little bit mean too, but they were, I think in a different way. Okay. But I so appreciate the training that I got right from, right from the get-go from these guys. And I remember them telling us, it's not when you go to war or if you go to war, it's when you go to war and it's our jobs to prepare you. Mm-hmm. So that was in 1979. And then I went into an intelligence, which women had been a part of probably for a long time. They used women, especially in World War II, because we were, seemed less threatening. People weren't anticipating women being in intelligence. You were easier. You were a softer profile. And so there was lots of females in the intel field, but I went, you know, through airborne school and then joined a special unit that was associated with, with like Delta Force and the special operations, which was very male dom- dominant as well. And I also remember I went to airborne school out of the 150 people that were in my class, there were three females. <laughs> one was a West Point graduate who was going through airborne school and, what, and the other one was an officer as well. And there was me. Wow. And that was it. three females out of 150 soldiers. And, and so that was something new too. And again, there was no female black hats when I went through airborne school, at least not in my company. Mm-hmm. And so again, there was a little bit of a learning curve for everybody. Okay. I mean, they, funny things like you had to wear a stocking over your hair, but if you had long hair, because the parachute could get, the risers could get caught up in your hair. Mm-hmm. And so these were really weird things that we kind of had to do that the men didn't have to do necessarily, but for our own protection. And they kind of figured it out on the fly. And it was all like said for good. What's going to protect these females so that they don't get hurt going through this training. And and for most women, and this is funny, maybe this has nothing to do with, but there's these are things that I remember is that our collarbones, because most of us don't have a lot of fat up here, would be bruised from those, from the um, parachute, that mm-hmm. weight sitting on there. And, and then first they thought, what is wrong? Are you not wearing your parachute correct? Finally, just figured out we just didn't have a lot of, you know, body fat up there or our our collarbones were. Mm -hmm. And so they, you know, figured out a way to make that a little softer. Now, if you jump with a parachute, it's like way different than I would jump in with ones you couldn't even steer other than pulling on the risers. (laughs) There was no toggles. Okay. Mm -hmm. So there was that upper body strength. That's how you turned your parachute. Things have evolved over the, my 27 year career. I mean, just, I could, there's a litany of things I could tell you that have changed from uniforms being not separate, but now the same as mm-hmm. used to the women's uniform was very different than the male uniform. Okay. Even mm-hmm. the back in the day, we wore fatigues, they were different. Okay. okay. And so that set us apart, even in that way. Now, you know, everybody wears basically the same uniform. Okay. Mm-hmm. And there may be some minor adjustments, but basically it's the same uniform as it should be. And now women can serve in every MOS that they can qualify for. I think, and I think that's awesome. Yeah. I mean, it makes complete sense to me. If you can do the job physically and mentally, you should be able to absolutely. do the job. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. But and we all knew that. I think all military people probably felt that all along, uh-huh. but we weren't there to change laws. We were just there to do our jobs. But I'm so delighted to see that these, that the, all people who want to serve their country can do, like you said, whatever they want to do, if they can, if they can hit all the, hit all the marks, then go do it. And then we talk about brain injury. So for me in 2006, a rocket blast really rung my bell. That's what we used to say. And, and that, we use that right. term so lightly now because 
it, and it wasn't my first time I barely been run. I'm parachuting parachuting sometimes you, you, you take a nasty hit right at the if, if you're coming in all of a sudden the wind shifts or something mm-hmm. and you don't do a great parachute landing fall you end up hitting your your head first instead of your feet mm-hmm. and i can remember 10 times in my military career where i was almost knocked out or knocked out and those cartoon characters that they on, on tv when they get hit in the head and then you see stars go yeah. i actually saw stars a couple of times you know my head got hit so hard by something and we just laughed it off. We just thought, okay, well, that that wasn't supposed to happen. Or dang, that hurt. And I've got a headache for a couple of days. Mm-hmm. And we'd take Motrin or whatever it is to relieve the pain. And then you went on. And so this last head injury, honestly, I think, believe, honestly, had I had not been hurt in other ways, it would have been just another, oh, so our major got knocked out by this blast. But, but because I had other severe injuries along with the traumatic brain injury. And this one was probably, probably would have, I would have at least seen a doctor and he would have seen the swelling. And I can also say this, our medical field has come such a long way. Had I gotten these injuries in a different conflict, I would have died on the battlefield because I did have a swelling brain and they did catch it in time. Oh, wow. And it was a closed head wound and which are crazy dangerous. Okay. Mm-hmm. Almost more dangerous than if you, your head gets split open because the brain swells and it doesn't have any place to go. Mm-hmm. And so with great medical care, it certainly saved my life. Now, head injuries are a funny thing, okay? I mean, you don't know you have a brain injury, but you don't know what you don't know. Right. Because it manifests itself in so many different ways. Some things are obvious, like memory loss is very obvious, headaches, light sensitivity. But there are things, too, that traumatic brain injuries that you don't really think that it's part of it, or it gets confused with some of your PTSD symptoms. Uh It took me about five years to figure out the difference between what my PTSD symptoms were and what my traumatic brain injuries were. And now when I have a symptom present, I can almost always tell that's my brain injury that's that's presenting itself or no, that's PTSD. I can almost discern, but that's after being hurt for, you know, over 10 years. And even doctors have a hard time. And so they medicate you trying to mitigate your PTSD symptoms, which are certainly easier for medicate than your TBIs are. So it, it's it's crazy out there. So I know there's hundreds, if not thousands of women just like me that served uh, during my you know, time frame and are serving now that have brain or walking around with brain injuries and maybe don't even know it until it, something happens down the line. And they sometimes they attribute it to age. Sometimes they attribute it to stress. Sometimes they, you know, all kinds of things. You think, oh, okay, I don't remember things I get used to because I'm in my 40s now. No, that's not really, <laughs> right. I'm not saying that doesn't happen, but it can be brain injuries are funny or funny things. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, you brought up a few good points there. One, when we talk about veterans experiencing head injuries or, or brain injuries, and we call it the perfect storm, TBI, CTE, and PTSD. And you brought up a good point where it's hard uh, to really differentiate those signs and symptoms when you have more than one of those. And then when you throw in CTE on top of it, it sounds like from you, another good point you brought up is how many jumps you had beforehand and, and how many oh, yeah. and things like that, or just getting knocked in the head on could be doing anything right. Training wise. And all of a sudden it, it could be a concussion. 
And then the number of those that build up in your over time, or even subconcussive hits, people don't realize that subconcussive hits are very are, are really what cause CTE. So there could be three things going on from three different instances. Yeah. And it's a perfect storm of, of symptoms. And so I appreciate you bringing that up. And, and so how did that really affect you over time? Did you see during your career, any kind of men, the way you've thought about things, or maybe the way you handled things change as a leader based off of maybe some of the things looking back that happened to you TBI wise, or any other instances like that? Yes, I think that I don't I don't think I knew the cause. I think probably I thought it was like most like stress induced being in a leadership position and even especially the last from 2000 on 2001 on I contributed my it was probably a brain injury all along. Like I said, all those parachute and just like I said, just getting your bell rung. I remember walking mm-hmm. past a, a deuce and a half and people were tossing GP mediums out the back and it just happened to time. Tent weighs 10 times more than I do. Yeah. And it, you know, hit me, knocked me out and I was got up and kind of dusted myself off and went on. But what I noticed was I started, I noticed that I needed to write things down that I no longer could like have this like total instant recall mm-hmm. like I used to. And I would sit in meetings and and take copious notes because my mental recall was dissipated mm-hmm. and and it was affected. I like I said, I contributed not to a head injury at that point. I contributed to a lot of a lot of moving pieces. Okay. Yeah. Age, yeah, stress. Yeah. And I'm just thinking I can't I can't keep I can't keep juggling all these balls. Mm-hmm. And so also I also started to honestly kind of pick and choose about what I wanted to remember. Like I get all, lots of information all day long. And I would say to myself, am I going to need to know this information 10 minutes from now? And if the answer was no, honestly, I just jettisoned it. Yeah. Because I felt like there was a limit of information that my brain could hold and recall and process. And so I started doing that. It was like literally like like trivia. I don't mess around with trivia. If I have to remember, I'm going to remember. And if I don't, it's like gone. <laughs> so I'm not the person you want on your team for a trivial pursuit because I just really, it was like I had to be selective about what I needed to remember. And then I had to rely on, you know, other people as well. My other leaders that with me and saying, okay, everybody help me remember this. Okay. Because there's a lot of information out there. And of course I wasn't the only one suffering from a brain injury. I think everybody I knew had a brain injury. I mean, just think about it. If you're an airborne unit, how many people have had at least one bad landing where they've rung their bell? Right. Yeah. And so I think all of us were walking around trying to do the best that we could and not even talking about it or even thinking about it. Also, I did develop, I would say a light sensitivity. And at first I thought it was those multiple deployments to the Middle East of being in the desert where the reflective light can be really bad during the summer from the sand and just off of reflective things. And so I was never a person who wore sunglasses before. All of a sudden I noticed I was wearing sunglasses more. Mm. And also I was not sleeping well. Again, I contributed this to being combat, stress, leadership, all those things. But I do really think that those things were caused by the multiple head injuries that I had. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, it's interesting. I think that's, that's kind of commonplace. Everybody gets, you get so stressed out and the military is a very stressful environment. And so we just want to persevere. And we also don't, 
want to realize that we have some type of injury that's going to stop us right. from doing what we want to do. So that's very normal. And all, and all the signs and symptoms you brought up are, that's kind of what it's a bumper bumper sticker for yep. PBI and PTSD and things like that. So yeah, that's, that's exactly how we describe them. Um, yeah. And that's why I love what you guys do because I went through 90% of my career unaware Mm-hmm. Okay. And I, now I don't want other service members to do that. Okay. And it doesn't have to be a career in the, you can serve with a mild head injury. Then like I said, you learn tips. And what we did is that we just did it on the fly because we, nobody was talking about head injuries until recently, but now there are things that you can do. Okay. That to help mitigate your symptoms and mm-hmm. help, you know, maintain that quality of life that you want and help you to live your best life in spite of your head injury. And so that's kind of where I'm all about now. And that's what kind of brought Team Unbroken all up to the surface. And that's why Project Enlist is important to us is that we don't want to have these disabilities, if you will, or injuries, where you want to call them, define who you are or what you can accomplish. Mm-hmm. There, there are workarounds. There are ways to deal with these things so that it doesn't have to have a, a negative impact on your life. Yeah. That, and one of the things that since I've retired just in the last few years, I've realized uh, going through the whole VA process is that, boy, I wish I would have documented some of those things, right? And um, so one of the things I like to talk to currently serving military members about is document this stuff. You get a concussion, make sure you're going to the doc and getting it in your medical record. So when it comes time to retire or get out of the service, you have that in your record and you can go back to the VA and say, Hey, I had these head, this head trauma because yeah. people don't really associate concussion with a traumatic brain injury, but that's exactly yeah. what it is. So, so when you got your traumatic brain injury, did they, how did they classify that? Was that moderate or severe? Um, yeah, mine was, mine was, considered severe and because it blew up my eardrums as well. And then I had really severe brain swelling and it also damaged some important nerves in, in my brain. And so what the bottle, my biggest symptom of my brain injury is a little bit of cognitive delay. Mm-hmm. And, and so something like as simple as you look at an object and you know what it is. Okay. And it's not even a heart. I'm talking like a, a folder. Okay. Mm-hmm. And for like two seconds, you can't recall what that thing is called. Okay. And incredibly frustrating because you're thinking, okay, it's not rocket science I'm trying to do here. I just want to be able to say the word folder. (laughs) Some of those pistons aren't, aren't fine firing. And also it's intermittent. Mm -hmm. So for me, this most stressful thing for me is because I am a public speaker and motivational speaker. And I, you know, I represent a lot of um, nonprofits out there and I'm also on an adventure racing team is that at a critical moment in my life, I'm going to have this like brain fog. Okay. And that it could be problematic. Mm-hmm. And so that's why I give myself self-help things as much as I can. That's why everything's written down. That's why things. So, so in case that brain fog kind of comes in, I have a, maybe a little bit of a backup to, to help me. So I don't lose my train of thought or I can't come up with a word, but it happens all the time. And my husband, he'll say, the other day I was walking down the um, sidewalk and the sun was behind me and it had a really cool shadow, right? And I said, look at that. And I couldn't come up with the word shadow. <laughs> it could not bring it to mind. And my husband looked at me and goes, shadow. And I go, that's what it is. 
things like that. Okay. Yeah. yeah. And 90% of the time I'm, I'm high functioning. Everything's like smooth as, as glass. And then 10% of the time, other things too, like I can't back up anymore. Like in my vehicle, hmm. my depth perception was affected by my brain injury oh, wow. and it's not accurate anymore. Mm-hmm. So backing up a vehicle to me is challenging. So I will park like five miles if I have to, to a place where I don't have to back up. Okay. <laughs> I'm always looking for that spot where I don't have to back up or a combat park always, yeah. but that requires backing up. Yeah. So it's funny things like that. One of my friends who's on Team Unbroken, Dan, he, he, after he got his brain injury, his, his worst, we call them our worst brain injuries. He, he couldn't type anymore. Uh. Like he lost the ability to type of all the things that affected him. He lost it. That was the funniest thing. So it's crazy. stuff. It is crazy. I I mean, and you, I think you've done a great job of mitigating that. And it was probably part of the command sergeant major in you as well, just to go out and persevere and push forward. Yeah. Just pushing forward. That's right. And parking five miles away is, I take that. That's not a big deal for a person who runs adventure races <laughs> so, but still you want it it's it can be very humbling and that's yeah. another thing that i just want to touch on is that i think you, people know that when they have a huge injury before they want to admit it like there's these signs and symptoms and ignoring it is not it's like i always say this bad news is not like wine it doesn't get better with old age <laughs> so <laughs> if you do you think even think you have a brain injury you should go get checked. It's a simple process. Okay. Mm-hmm. They can, whatever they require an MRI or a CT or whatever it is to go in there and look, and mm-hmm. they can see damage now. Okay. And be able to pinpoint exactly where it is. And depending on where your head injury is, okay, depends on sometimes what your symptoms are yeah, and what kind of help that you, that you need and different parts of the brain affect different things. And so, and they can be very helpful. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's a good point. I mean, for a lot of those we have a lot of really good facilities and doctors out there. And, and one thing that CLF has is the the helpline. So we have a helpline that if somebody can't find help for a brain injury, they can get a hold of our helpline. And we have a lot of resources that we've touched base with and vetted that we can turn to and say, hey, you should try this. It's in your area. And now we are also adding veteran services as well. So as we add partnerships and just talk to different organizations like the Wounded Warrior Project and and people like that and their warrior care network, we have veteran specific services we can refer veterans to too. So that's super important. And I, one of the things I kind of want to go back to was when you had your, your serious TBI, you were in a position and I was reading about it in the book. You were in a position where I think a lot of women that are coming into the military now that are going into these combat arms MOSs, are going to find themselves in, in in warfare and your experience was unique for a woman oh, yeah. in Afghanistan. I mean, there were the lioness teams that would go out or whatever you'd like to call them. They go out and talk to women in the villages and things like that. But in your instance, you were actually with a group of uh, soldiers that was assaulting an objective. And right. so the very unique situation at the time, but that's not going to be as unique as we move forward. No. And so I think we're going to find more and more women subjected to the same dangers as you experience yep. the same experiences it's only going to get bigger because like i said now there there's 
you know, they really are going to be leading infantry companies mm-hmm. and in units that are going to be in direct, uh, directly engaged with the enemy purposely. They're they're on the offense, and so I do think that the the amount of brain injuries are going to increase because even in training, like you mentioned earlier, people get hurt in training all the time. Mm-hmm. You know, as we were ramping up for deployment, I would lose five percent sometimes of my of the guys and gals that were going to deploy with me mm-hmm. because they got hurt during training. And it was sometimes it wasn't a career-ending one, but it was a deployment-ending injury. And maybe they could come later, but they couldn't make the first entry in. And mm-hmm. so, in training, accidents happen all the time. And people don't go to sick call because you know, we make up songs about how bad it is to go to sick call. Remember all the Jodies we used to sing about <laughs> going to sick call? Right? Yeah. So we discourage people from going. I don't even know what it's called anymore, but we discourage people from seeking help. And I was laughing because I remember one time jumping in splitting open my knee and it needed stitches and the battalion medic walked over on the drop zone, rolled up my pant leg and stitched me up right on the drop zone. And I never went to the doctor. Right. And like 10 days later, he called me into his office and he took the stitches out. <laughs> never had a medical file, never made it, never even went to see a doctor. He just took care of it. Mm-hmm. And a lot of our medics, I think that's what they did. That was their, their job. And we never thought about documentation. We never thought about this kind of stuff, writing it mm-hmm. down. Every once in a while I go see a doctor and they go, well, what happened there? And I said, oh, I got shrapnel from something. It was, well, did you get taken care of? No. <laughs> <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And I pulled that sucker out and went on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I've talked to several veterans that sustained concussions or from IED blasts or on a convoy or anything like that. Never went in. And yeah. And the doc went over and checked them out and never went yeah. back to the facility. And now, unfortunately, sometimes you run into guys who regret not be, not having that in their medical record because then they just yeah. can't get the, they can't get the medical attention they need now that they're out. So super important but yeah it's you can see why it was a signature wound of kind of the last 20 years of yes. warfare oh you know? absolutely yeah absolutely. yeah absolutely yeah, yeah. Uh, i said i don't know if i have any military friends that i know of that don't have some sort of at least a mild uh, brain injury just just from the nature of the beast just yeah. from being in service okay you're in you're running around, you're jumping around, you're jumping out of airplanes, you're throwing yourself on the ground, mm-hmm. you're you're constantly putting yourself at risk for head, for in head injuries. It's like playing football every day, okay? Mm-hmm. And always have your helmet on. Think about how much we wear our soft caps when we're yeah. out in a place where you really maybe should have a helmet on. Yeah. And and you don't. And so we're not always have our protective gear on. So yeah. I think a lot of head injuries happen that way. Yeah, or even martial arts training, or I and and I was the more I think about this, the more I realize that it it goes across so many MOSs, pilots with hard landings, a carrier yep. landing, obviously the EOD guys, but even just riding around the back of a seven ton truck or a, a personnel <laughs> carrier, yeah, bouncing your <laughs> noggin off the back of a, the metal, yeah. or the, you know, yeah. the guy hits a speed bump, but everybody pops off about you know seven inches off the thing and comes back down, and sometimes you bang your head against the the back of the those metal bars. Yeah, I know. And I couldn't imagine being a tanker and bouncing around on one of those things. So yeah, yeah, it's definitely, uh, I think more prevalent than we think. And we even, I I do know that nine of our first 11 veterans from OIF, OEF that are part of our brain bank, our legacy donors actually tested positive for CTE because you mentioned that you can see a lot of things with brain injuries on MRIs and CT scans and things things like that. But with CTE, it's one of those scary degenerative 
conditions that you can't, you don't find out until after somebody has passed away right now for diagnoses. So yeah, we've seen nine of our first 11 were diagnosed with CTE and those, many of those had PTSD diagnosis too. So they could have been missed along the way and treated for PTSD when they really had TBIs or a lot of subconcussive hits that were contributing to the things they were experiencing in a ways that it changed them. So yeah, super important there. So you, that's funny because I have other questions in here about earlier in your career and things like that, but I think we covered like all the different TBIs and things that you've experienced. And I love the picture behind you because it's skydiving, you know, after, (laughs) and that's post, that's post army career, right? So. Oh yeah. That's how I got to go jump with the golden nights and that's Ryan and, and he and I had a really good jump and yeah, life for me, I will tell you in the beginning was a struggle and getting severely wounded like that. 27 years, I didn't have a plan B mm-hmm. and wasn't thinking about retirement. I was only 46, was going to stay till I was 60 until the army drug me out kicking and then to be hurt so severely that it ended your career. You really had to find your new passion and purpose in life. And also deal with your injuries at the same time. And it can suck the life out of you. Part of you just wants to survive. And then the other part wants to thrive. Mm -hmm. And so there's this, you want to start thriving before you get to, before you're well enough sometimes. And so you have a lot of failures, which really can get you the curb. And so for me, it was, maybe it was just that tenacity of that Sergeant Major. I'm just going to, you know, drag myself through this, but also I will say this, it was the people around me who were my support system that really helped me overcome all these injuries. And now I I think I'm living the best life that I could possibly could. And I don't even think about my brain injury until I can't think about what a shadow is or something. I don't think about it every day. And also, I don't consider myself really disabled. I call myself mixed ability. Because for every ability I lost, I added a new one. So I'm deaf now, but I learned delivery. Mm-hmm. So I just switched abilities. So now I'm mixed ability. And same thing with my brain injury. I wasn't, you know, such a great note taker prior to my brain injury, but dang, I can take great notes right now. <laughs> okay. And I'm fast at it and I'm better at it. Right. So I, I, so I always tell people I'm a mixed ability. Okay. <laughs> I've, I've got some I used to have, and now I've added some I never had before. And then I decided that I just wasn't going to let it define me. Mm-hmm. Okay. I wasn't going to say that this is where it ends. In fact, this is, I really feel like that in spite of everything, that my life is a really positive, wonderful thing. And I want to help as many people as I can. That's really my passion. I like to, I want to advocate for those who can't advocate for themselves. Mm-hmm. And, and as a Sergeant Major, that's what I did. I was the advocate for the soldier. I made sure that they were taken care of to the best of my ability. So I'm just doing the same thing I did before. I'm just switch uniforms and I'm a little more casual now. And, but I will tell you what, I'm more laser focused on the things that I can have impact on. Mm-hmm. So for all the injuries that I have, those are the ones that, you know, that I can speak to. I want to help people who may be going through the same thing that I went through when I got injured. Yeah. Yeah. And that speaks to your leadership right there. Just that's to me, that's servant leadership. That's yeah. taking care of your people. And I think that's what I loved most about being in the Marine Corps as well. And and having been in the positions to lead, that's what made me fall in love with leadership and, and really wanting to do jobs like this after my career and take care of, yeah. you know, because you, you miss that. You miss taking care of people. You do miss that. I miss taking care of people. Yeah. yeah. I, like yep. to, I like to help people. And really, it's not like 
taking care of them in the sense you think about taking care of a child, what you're doing is you're setting them up for success. Mm-hmm. You're putting them in the position where they can be the best that they want to be. And then they can, you know, realize their own personal goals and dreams. And so you're just kind of walking the journey with them yeah. and it, and imparting wisdom when you can and letting them make the calls, but saying, Hey, been down that road. And I'm going to tell you that left, that left turn's not a good turn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so my, my advice to you is might be something different, but it's really just helping them su- to succeed. Yeah, no, that's, that's perfect. And so what would you tell? So now that we know the, the rules for women really have changed in the military what would what advice would you give a young woman joining the military today now that you kind of seen it kind of evolve and, and yeah. been really been a leader and and help and kind of a I guess a plank holder and kind of the way this has all worked out? Yeah. Tell them to, you know, dream big. And if you want to go for the brass ring, go for it. And don't let failures be setbacks, like failures be stepping stones. And because there was a lot of failures leading up to me being an NA9, okay, and then mm-hmm. lots of them when I became an NA9, okay, and so those can be, they, those things can be stepping stones to your successes, or they can be roadblocks. It depends on how you deal with them. So mm-hmm. don't be afraid of failure, and don't be be willing to say you you can before you say you can't. Yeah. I think a lot of people tell themselves no before anybody else does. Mm-hmm. Okay. And that was something that I experienced. People say, no, I can't do that. I said, well, you're telling yourself that, but that's you talking to yourself. Nobody else is telling you that. So if you really want to do it to yourself, yes. And then if it doesn't play out, okay, then you did the best that you could do. Mm -hmm. Okay. But if you never, like I said, the shot you never take is one that you never make. Right. So make, take all the shots. Yeah. And, and also though, I said to any, not just female, but the whole younger generation is again, You'd never think these little things are important, um, but they are. And it's not just documenting injuries so that you can get disability pay when you get out. It's not about that. It's about getting the proper medical care mm-hmm. that you're going to need because of these injuries. And it's not something that it's something that you've earned by being in the in the armed forces. OK, mm-hmm. because this job's not easy and it comes with risk. And so don't feel bad about documenting things that happen. It's not only for you. If you want to, if you want to motivation, think about your family. Okay. It's for them. So down the road, when you do need the care for an injury that happened while you were serving your country, it's there for you. And so go ahead. There's no shame in it. Go and just get it checked out, get it documented. And then, and then then march on. Yeah, absolutely. And that, that was as perfectly said, because when you think about what people see, what, not just how, what you experience getting, having sustained a TBI or, or, or brain injury of some sort, or even have PTSD, but it's, it's the changes that your family and friends see and they experience. Yeah. And sometimes they suffer right along with you. And so it is, it's for, it's, it's to take care of yourself and take care of yourself so you can help take care of your family and friends and, right. and be that person that you're meant to be and not let this kind of drag you down. Also educate yourself. That's how part of my healing was learning about my injury. Why, why, what is wrong with my brain Mm -hmm. and getting smart about it? Not just like saying, oh, okay, I have a brain injury. No. What does that mean? How does it affect my life? And what can I do to not let this thing own me? 
Mm-hmm. And so, you know, I got really smart about it. I read things. I went to classes. I engaged with organ- the organizations that you men- mentioned, Wendell Warriors and all these other people out there that are setting up services so that you can uh, that you can learn about your injury and also listen to other people who also have the same injury that you do and how maybe they've navigated and you can pick up corners. And that's why I think this veteran network that we have is, is powerful. You talk to another veteran who has a brain injury and they, and they tell you something, oh yeah, I, that happens to me too. And they mm-hmm. get may, maybe impart some wisdom to you that could be useful in your life. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. And so um why then did you decide because you are you have pledged your brain to project i am and why did you decide to do that what made you decide to do that well i just i want to be like i said part of the solution so donating dedicating whatever the the right verbiage is my brain after i'm not using it anymore can help even just one person Okay. If a scientist, a doctor can open this thing and take a look at it and think, oh man, this makes like perfect sense to me now. And this is how, even if it goes, it could, it could, it could do all kinds of things. It could go back to the type of helmets that we're wearing. The Kevlar helmet has gone through multiple generations, uh, just like football helmets have, mm-hmm. because we learn how to protect our brains better. So that was my motivation was, was to be part of the solution of brain injuries in, in of themselves to, like I said, if we can stop from happening, that's the best thing. I don't know that we I can ever get to that place, but we can also, we can find headgear for people who play sports or in the military. Maybe that could, that could be more helpful than what we have right now. Mm-hmm. Cause technology is every day is changing. And also if, from donating my brain and they can figure out how to help people who already have head injuries or even born with, with head injuries. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then to me, that's a win-win for everybody. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just, it's kind of like we were just talking about with leadership perspective too. We're taking care of future veterans and future service members by pledging our brain and eventually donating our brain after a long, healthy life. We're not going to collect early, but donating our brain in the end to take care of others that are going to come after us. And hopefully they don't have to go through the same things that our current service members have experienced in different head injuries. So any any final topics you want that you'd like to talk no, about? No, I just like to say that for all the female veterans out there, like you mentioned earlier, we're a small but mighty population and we're getting bigger by the day and our risks have become greater because now the laws have changed and women can serve wherever they want that I would encourage women, especially women veterans, to donate their brains. So let's all help each other because it could be our granddaughters, okay, down the line that someday serve. And we want them to get the best care that they could get and the best equipment that they could get to prevent them from possibly having a, you know, life-altering injury somewhere down the road. So mm-hmm. I'm all about, I'm the big cheerleader for that. Okay, let's let's all be, let's all take that big pledge and donate our brains to help other people. Yeah, thank you very much. I, I just want to thank you, Gretchen, and thank you for your pledge to for Project Enlist and for your advocacy. And really just to want to point people to also the Team Unbroken and check out Team Unbroken and everything that Team Unbroken does because it's fantastic. All the awareness you raise for veterans and specific issues, not just head injury, but you know, many veterans issues across the board. And and then also go out and check out your book. You know, I'll plug your book. I love yeah. it. 
That was a good, thanks, was a good read. Yeah, I told my wife, I was like, you got to check this out. So yeah, you got to check it out. It's an know. easy read. And, and my uh, funny story about the book, and then we'll, I'll, we'll cut this off, is that you can tell it's unedited. Okay. I wrote it and I self-published. It's not edited. Those are, you know, my words. And I try to write it from the perspective of how endearing my troops were, mm-hmm. that how courageous they they were i saw so many and that book will make you laugh and cry all on the same on the same day and i'm not really a writer that came out of two years of of counseling those stories about my about my wonderful troops but it's an easy read i tell everybody you can i tell people don't read down the airplane though because if you cry then then the air (laughs) attendants get all you know I had a couple of people tell me that they were reading in their airplane and made them cry. And the flight attendant was, are we okay? <laughs> but anyway, thanks for, for um, having me. Um, I'm there for anybody who needs any help. I'm certainly there for uh, Project Enlist and uh, for your foundation and Team Unbroken. You have our full support. And we're out doing wonderful things, crazy wonderful things, but good things. Yeah, yeah. Thank you. And just for, for the those listening, projectenlist.org is our website. So you can go there and you can check out the research registry. One, you can sign up for research registry. You can also sign up to pledge your brain for donation after you pass. We also you know, really ask veterans to help us build the network. And so we are building that kind of surveillance network so that we know when other veterans pass because we just need that those brain donations to continue the research. That was the best way to get after these um, brain injuries and understand them and be able to treat them in the future. And we also have Operation Brain Health. You'll find that at Project Enlist. So Gretchen was talking about getting help now, what you can do for yourself now. There's videos on there. There's lots of links that explain CTE and TBIs and PTSD and uh, how to mitigate some of that and just gets into better uh, detail. We also have the helpline I mentioned earlier, and then you can just follow us on, we have Instagram, we do. We are on Facebook, uh, we are on Twitter. So we're doing some really great stuff there, have a lot of good uh, events going on. And again, just thank you, Gretchen, for, for being on the show and happy early Women's Veterans Day. And uh, thank you for being a trailblazer. And I think there's a lot of people following your lead right now. So thank you. Thank you. Thanks for joining us this week on Coming Home Well with your guest host, Scott Wirt. If you enjoyed this podcast, please share with others, post about it on social media, or leave a rating and a review. If you're interested in pledging to support Project Enlist, please visit projectenlist.org. Follow us on Instagram at Concussion Foundation or at Coming Home Well Podcast. Thank you for listening to Coming Home Well. Coming home.